Do you think you are right with God? Why do you think you're right with God? Or why don't you think you're right with God? So let's spend the next couple of minutes thinking why it is you are right with God, or why not? You might want to write it down on the news on the on the handout that you got as you came in. Let me pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, thanks that we can come here again today uh, as God's people uh, gathered in this building. Uh, to hear and understand your word. Uh, we pray that you'll help us to do just that uh, and help us to seriously consider where we stand with you. Lord, I pray that you'll help me to uh, preach faithfully, to, to represent uh, what you say in your word in here in Romans uh, and, not to go, and not to say anything other than that. In your son's name, amen. Now, I suspect there's probably quite a few... Uh, quite a variety of reasons uh, why you do or you don't think that you're right with God. But I hope by the end of today you're able to answer both those questions with confidence. Answer why you might not be right with God and then be sure of the reason that you are, you are right with God. Uh, if, we've, if we go by what we've heard over the last few weeks, we probably have plenty of reason to think, well, actually... Maybe I'm not right with God. We've seen over and over again that none of us meet God's standards. That we don't live up to the extremely high bar that God rightly sets. And that we are all going to face the consequences for not meeting those standards. In our passage today, we hit the conclusion of this very heavy section of the Bible. Which means we also finally get out of the the bad, the doom and gloom, and get to the good bit, the happy bit. As we've trudged through, this, through section after section that have been all, point, all been pointing out where we fail, it's all been leading up to this point. It's all been leading up to a way out that we desperately need. But before we get to that, we need to recap on the bad news. One, because that's how our passage starts off today. Uh, and two, because without it, the good news that we're going to get to later won't make any sense. So let's read. Uh, if you've got your Bibles there, open them back up uh, to Romans 3. And we've got a description of the reality that we're in. So let's read, starting at verse 10. 
As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's a pretty damning description. And it's a description of us, of Gentiles. Gentiles is just a word that's used for anyone who's not a Jew. You're either a Jew or you aren't. You're a Jew or you're a Gentile. And that fits most of us here. And I mean, even if you are Jewish, we heard last, last week that we're all in the same boat anyway. And so we're told that no one is righteous, that none of us meet God's standard of what is good. And why don't we? Well, it says in the passage that no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned away from God, and there is no one who does good. Now, today's passage has quite a few words which we uh, don't often use, and we're going to be focusing on three of them. If you look down at the handout that you got as you came in, uh, you'll see them there. Uh, and our first one is righteous. And a definition, the definition for righteous, as far as God's concerned, is meeting God's moral standard. I want to jot that down or repeat it again. Being righteous is meeting God's moral standard. If you're righteous, you're on God's good side. You meet every expectation he has for someone who is good, someone who is innocent, someone who's done nothing wrong. Now, we've just been told that none of us meet this standard. But not only that, we're flat out ignoring the standard. We don't understand or seek God. We've all turned away. And none of us do good. Actually, far from it. Just look down at some of the other descriptions we're given. Our tongues practice deceit. Uh, we have the poison of vipers on our lips. We're swift to shed blood. And no fear of God is before our eyes. I think that's pretty solid evidence that we are far from, from right in God's eyes. And remember, this is a description of everyone. Not just some small group of people, not just the, the people that Paul is writing to, but everyone. You, me, Joe, the guy out there walking his dog across the street. Um, everyone, whether here or out there or wherever they are, this describes every single person. As far as what we've read is concerned... None of us even care about God. And that brings us to our second word for the day, sin. Sin is not recognising God as the creator and therefore ruler of the world. I'll repeat that one again. Not recognising God as the creator and therefore ruler of the world. Instead of recognising this, we do what we please, ignoring God 
and doing what we feel is appropriate. We see in verse 9 that all of us are under sin, whether Jew or Gentile, everyone. Let's think about it for a second. Are we actually all under sin? I imagine plenty of us do, do good things, but what is the reasoning behind it? Why do we normally do good things? Usually, I think it's because we think that, I think it's because that we think it's a good idea, not because God thinks it's a good idea. We do them usually because it suits us, because they're good things that benefit us, so we decide to do them, not because God thinks they're good. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, hang on, Jason. I do the good things God wants. I, I did it just this morning. I was thinking, oh, you know, God would think it would be really good if I read my Bible right now, so I'll go and do that. Or maybe you do. Maybe all of your life is doing, uh, doing the things that God wants and doing them because God wants. But even then, I think it's, it's, I, I'm fairly certain that at some point you failed at living out all of God's commands perfectly. I can safely say that all of us at some point have slipped up. I mean, if we think back through our lives or, or even over this past week, I can say for sure that at some point each of us has you know, lied or, or stolen or got angry at someone, did something for our own selfish reasons, maybe wanted what someone else had that we didn't have. Or got angry at God. And all of it is sin. All of us have broken God's commands at some point, undoubtedly many times uh, during our life. All of us are under sin, and there's consequence for it, which is death. We'll see later on in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. The thing that sin earns is death. And unfortunately, there's nothing, nothing we can really do about it. But wait, maybe if we do enough good things, we can make up for the bad things we've already done. Unfortunately not. We see in verse 20 that no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. No one will be declared innocent in God's sight by following God's commands. Because we can't do it. No one can follow God's commands perfectly. One slip-up ruins the whole thing and earns the consequences. We can't cancel out the bad by doing good things. and It doesn't work like that. God expects, expects perfection, a perfection that we can't achieve on our own. You could picture it like this. Imagine we're all uh, down by the side of a river. It's a, it's a pretty big river. Don't imagine like a little creek, but like a massive one. There's this big boat tied up against the docks. Maybe we're at a church picnic or something, I don't know. Um, and we all, we all see this boat and we're like, hey, hang on, this would be a good idea. Let's get on this boat and go down the river. So we all get on the boat. We untie it from the, do- the dock and it starts going down along with the current. But as we're going, as the, as the current's getting faster and faster, we realize, realize, hang on, this boat doesn't have any motor. This boat doesn't even have a rudder or, or a steering wheel. There's, there's no way to control it. It's just a boat heading down the river. The current's pulling it along. It's getting faster and faster. Everyone starts to panic a little bit. It's like, oh, hang on. How are we going to control this boat? 
how are we going to stop this boat? There's no anchor. But then you realise you're in even more danger because just up ahead, there's a waterfall. And this isn't just a little waterfall. This is a, a massive, you know, 300 metre drop, jagged rocks sticking out the bottom, ready to tear apart the boat and you and all of us. We're trapped. We're on this boat. We can't control it. Some, some, person, some people look ahead and see the waterfall and they, they, they decide, oh, hang on, I'm going to try, try and save myself. I'm going to jump out of this boat and try and swim to shore. But as soon as they do, they get to shore and realise it's ridiculously steep and super slippery. No matter, what, no matter how hard they try, they keep slipping back into the river and ca- get carried along by the current towards their certain death. Everyone on the boat is powerless. They're all fa- we're all facing the same fate and unable to do anything to save ourselves from it. And we're in the same situation with our sin. Our sin has meant we're facing certain destruction and are powerless to do anything about it. Doing good things in an attempt to make up for the wrong we've done is about as useless as jumping out of the boat and trying to climb up the steep, slippery, uh, steep, slippery shore. We're hopeless. It's a pretty bleak, pretty bleak picture. But we've finally reached the good part. All of this isn't here just to point out how hopeless our situation is. It isn't here to say, ha ha, you're you're stuck. There's nothing you can do. It's to point out that we're stuck, but someone else has done something for us. It's to point out that we need help, every single one of us. And this is what everything we've previously read up to this point has been pointing towards. The fact that God has provided a way to fix the situation that we're in. We kick off in verse 21. It says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So we have a way to be declared right with God. And it's been made known. It's apart from the law, apart from doing good things. It's a righteousness that we've been waiting for throughout all of history. This has been the plan all along and it's finally been revealed. It's the way we can be declared innocent and it's now clear to see. So what is it? How can we go from facing God's wrath and anger to being declared all good? Well, let's keep reading in verse 22. It says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. So it's through faith in Jesus Christ. So this is our last definition for the day. So if you've got your sheet, get ready. And it's faith. Faith is trusting that what God has said will happen. Trusting what God has said will happen. So this righteousness comes through trusting what God says about Jesus will happen. So what does God say about Jesus? Well, we'll see if we keep reading. Verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
All right, that's pretty simple. That's what we've been saying up until this point, that all of us have done the wrong thing and none of us meet that standard that God has set. But it continues, All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We see that we're declared right for free, thanks to God through Jesus paying the price for us. And finishes off with, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Jesus died in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved. So here's the promise. God will declare us innocent of all we've done simply by trusting what Jesus, that what Jesus did on the cross is enough to make up for the wrong that we've done, that he took our punishment for us. How good is that? While we were essentially God's enemies, he died so that we could be declared innocent, forgiven of everything we'd done in the past and in the future. I mean, think back to the boat for a second. Here we are hurtling down the river, facing certain death and no way to save ourselves. When all of a sudden a helicopter flies, flies past overhead and the pilot looks down and sees all these people scrambling around on a boat in panic, waving their arms around, circles back around and hovers just over the boat. The helicopter's got enough space to save everyone. All we have to do is hop on and, and trust that he'll take us to somewhere safe. And that's what God does with us. When we're stuck facing the punishment for our sin, with no hope of getting out on our own, he provides a way out. Now the boat pictures good and all, but it fails uh, to represent one crucial aspect. The fact that the punishment that we've earned still needs to be dealt. The punishment that Jesus takes on himself in his death. Jesus is God, free from sin, undeserving of any punishment. Yet he decides to take, take, on our puni- take our punishment on himself so that we can be forgiven and made right in the eyes of God. Due to our sin, every single one of us is in the wrong as far as God's concerned, facing the punishment that goes with it. But God has promised that if we trust that Jesus has paid that price on the cross, we can be declared innocent and escape that punishment. God will declare us righteous. We can only be declared righteous because of the things that God has done for us. Remember, we're powerless to change our situation on our own. It's all God. And he offers this righteousness freely to everyone. This kind of comes with three really encouraging implications. The first one is that no matter how bad you are, no matter how good you are, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter how terrible your life has been, God offers you a way to be declared innocent. Even Christians who seem to have it all together, who seem to never never do anything wrong, they're still in the same situation. They're still sinful, and their only hope is to trust in Jesus' sacrifice. Every one of us is in the same situation, and there's only one way to be saved, and that's freely by trusting in Jesus. The second, the second point is that no matter when we do when we do finally trust, put our trust in Jesus, 
and are declared righteous, we can't stuff that up. No matter how many times we do the wrong thing or don't follow uh, God's commands, we can be sure that our that we are saved, that we're still right in God's eyes because it doesn't rely on what we've done. It relies solely on what God has done for us. And the last, the last implication is that this righteousness doesn't just come by itself. It's not like, okay, you're right with God, that's it. No, it comes with a whole bunch of amazing benefits, a whole bunch of amazing things that are great. I mean, just to name a few, we get the Holy Spirit who changes how we changes us and changes how we think and live. Uh, we become part of the church. We become part of God's people. And that with itself brings a whole list of, of great things. And then there's the, the biggest one. We receive, ultimate, we receive eternal life. And that's just naming a few. And we'll get to see more of those as we continue in Romans over the next couple of terms. Now this isn't just a message that you can listen to tonight and respond with, oh, that's nice. You know, walk out the door and continue on doing what we're doing. Now, it should be an urgent warning that all of us are in danger, in danger of death and punishment, and that we need to be saved. So if you haven't trusted in that promise yet, now is the time to do it. Jesus died so that you can be forgiven. Trust in that to make you all right with God. And if that's something you want to do, come and talk to me or me or Joe or Dave and we, in, in, if you're not sure and we can help you to do that. If you're a Christian and you, you're sitting here and realise, hang on, I've been trusting in something other than Jesus to make me right with God, whether that be coming to church every, every, day, every week where it's reading the Bible regularly, whether it's doing good things, whether it's being baptised or confirmed, we need to realise that those things don't save us. Those things don't make us right with God. And we need to do the same thing. We need to put our trust solely in Jesus to make us right with God. Doing good things isn't going to make us right with God. It's not going to save us. We need to trust solely in Jesus. None of us meet God's standards by our own merit. We deserve destruction. But we have a God who lovingly took the punishment on himself through Jesus so that we can freely be declared innocent by trusting that Jesus' sacrifice is enough to make us righteous. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a great God who cares for us more than can be described. When we're, when we're stuck uh, in uh, our sinful position, not able to save ourselves from the punishment that's coming, you decided to take that punishment upon yourself so that we could be saved. I thank you that you've done that through Jesus and I've asked that all of us trust only in Jesus' sacrifice to be made right with you. We thank you... For those who have made that made that decision and made that uh, and are trusting in Jesus, we thank you that for them and the church and all that all the good things that come with uh, with that. And we pray that we'll, you'll help us to continue trusting in you. In your Son's name, Amen.